We're going to finish up with the disciple, or we're going to finish, we're going to stop this morning with one more of the disciples. We've been looking at the 12 disciples, and we've gotten a little more than halfway through them this morning, we're, and then next week we're going to talk about, actually, we're going to talk about the four songs of Christmas. And when you, when you look at this Christmas story, uh, there are four unique songs or poems or sections that people say. Many of you are familiar with Mary, and many of you are familiar with the angels, uh, but there are two more from Zechariah and, uh, and um, uh, Simeon. And we're, we're going to look at all four of those. We're going to look at one each week. And each one will give you some insight in the Christmas story. So that's kind of where we're headed for Christmas. This morning we're going to talk about uh, one of the disciples, one of the apostles. We've talked about Peter. One of the things we learned about Peter's life was the idea that Peter was a work in progress. When, when Peter followed Jesus, he didn't have it all together. In fact, even at the end of following Jesus, he didn't have it all together. But God wants us to understand that as we follow Christ, he takes us from where we are, and, and, and we're all a work in progress. We talked about Andrew and how Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus and how we can learn from Andrew's life to kind of be willing to introduce other people to Christ. We talked about James, who was a, a son of thunder, a hot-headed guy. And one of the things that, that God taught James was the idea of, look, there's nothing wrong with being passionate, but you need to learn mercy. And then we talked about his brother John, also a hothead, who really learned to balance truth and love and really became a disciple known for his love. We talked about um, Nathaniel, the idea that, um, um, or not Nathaniel, um, Philip? No, Nathaniel, who did he get? Uh, Philip. Philip was next. Philip was uh, the guy who, he follows Christ for three years and then misses it at the end. At the very end of following Christ, he looks at Jesus and he says, look, if you want me to believe in you, just show me the Father. And Jesus goes, you missed the big picture thing. We talked about how sometimes it's easy for us to miss the big picture when it comes to what God's doing in our lives. And then we talked about last week about um, Nathaniel, who um, the encouraging thing about Nathaniel is that he did not allow his prejudices, which were strong, to get in the way of God using him. And uh, he was able to put his prejudices and his ideas aside for a moment and open his heart to God, and God reached him in a great way. And from the very beginning, he follows Christ. If you remember in school, often you would see a, a sheet of paper, and it would say, which one of these things is not like the other? Okay? Everybody remember that? And you know what I'm talking about? Okay? If you were to take the 12 disciples and put them on a sheet of paper and say, which one of these things is not like the other? The disciple we're looking at this morning is the guy. He's the guy that does not fit. There is no way in the world anyone would choose this guy. And, and I think when we get into this this morning, I think you're going to come to understand why. And yet, um, he's used in a great way. Uh, and the disciple we're going to look at this morning is Matthew. And I know a lot of you may not know a lot about Matthew. You know these tax collector, it's about all you know. Uh, Matthew had an incredible Jewish background. His, uh, sometimes he's referred to in scriptures as Levi, okay? Uh, Levi, son of Alphaeus. And so that was his Jewish name. You know him, I know him as Matthew. He's the same guy who wrote the first gospel. You'll read the Christmas story this year, and Matthew, when you read the account of Matthew, Matthew's the guy who wrote it. Matthew had this phenomenal Jewish background because in the book of Matthew, for instance, 99 times he quotes the Old Testament. To put that in perspective, if you took all of the Old Testament quotes and Mark, Luke, and John and added them up, they would not equal 99. There are more Old Testament quotes in Matthew than any of the other gospel accounts. And so 
What I, the, the reason that's important is you need to understand Matthew had this very strong, strong Jewish background. And the reason that becomes important for us is because we know that Matthew was a tax collector. He was a publican. To you and I, you know, and again, I apologize to Don because Don worked for the IRS and retired, and, and, and I don't want to offend him, but um, he'll have to get over it. Uh, it, it. It's one of those things where uh, um, you have to understand tax collecting in the Roman time to understand Matthew and what a big deal Matthew is. So I, bear with me for a minute, but I want to take about five, five minutes or so and try to help you understand the Jewish tax-collecting world. And then you'll understand the story so much better. Rome was in charge. And so what Rome did is Rome collected taxes, and they had two ways to do it. Um, there were actually two kinds of groups of taxes. Uh, one was, was a standardized kind of tax. Um, income was taxed. Uh, property was taxed. And those were kind of set rates by Rome. So Rome just said, you know, and then there was like a person tax, a people tax kind of thing. So, for instance, in that day, they would have said, okay, you know, you own, you know, um, X number of acres, you pay this tax. And then um, X number of income, you pay this tax. And if you're a guy, you pay this tax. If you're a girl, you pay this tax. That was pretty much standard. And Rome collected that. That system was fixed. The other system was a different system. And what they did is they collected taxes much, much differently. There were, basically, the tax collection was set up by as a franchise. Okay? So here's the way it would work. Rome would come into an area. So I'm going to just use the state of Iowa to help you understand this. Rome would come into an era, Iowa, and he would say, okay, we've got 99 counties in Iowa. They are up for bid. You can bid for the franchise to collect taxes in Woodbury County. So I would go in, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own Woodbury County, all right? Um, so I would go in and I would buy, I would purchase the right to collect taxes in Woodbury County. And they'd say, okay, there's X number of people in Woodbury County. Rome would say, this is how much money I want. And then I'm responsible to collect those taxes in Woodbury County. Now, Woodbury County, it's hard for me to go collect taxes, so what would I do? I would open up sub-franchises, okay? So what I would say is I would say, okay, um, who wants to own Hornick? And so you would bid to own the franchise of collecting taxes at Hornick. Who wants Climbing Hill? And you would bid. Who wants Whispering Creek? Who wants Morningside? So I would bid out the franchises, and you would own a franchise to collect taxes in that area. So there were two levels of people who collected those kinds of taxes. Um, and, and the, the guy who owned, like, the big area, he was considered a chief publican. Uh, in the Bible, you read about a guy by the name of Zacchaeus who comes to follow Christ. Zacchaeus owned the big county thing. So Zacchaeus didn't deal with the people. The guys who were at the lower level of the franchise thing, they owned. <clears throat> they were the ones who dealt with the people. So now think about this for a minute. You are a Jew. You have been brought up Jewish. You have purchased the franchise to collect taxes in your area. Who are you representing when you're collecting the taxes? Rome. Is any Jewish person happy that Rome is now in charge of collecting taxes from them? No. Rome doesn't belong in our area. 
So what would happen is these people would bid for these franchises, and then what would happen is the guy who was over the county, so for instance, let's say I'm over the county, so I'm going I'm to make this really practical for us to, to help it out. So um, Phil lives in Odo. So Phil's collecting taxes in Odo. Okay. Uh, Mike, you're over in Whispering Creek. So Mike's collecting taxes in Whispering Creek. Uh, who else? Uh, okay, we'll give you Hornick. Okay. I'll take Climbing Hill. Oh, no, I own Woodbury County. I'm the big guy. Uh, uh, we'll give you Mapleton. So here's what happened. Uh, I, I come around. I, huh? Oh, yeah, that's right. I got to go buy another franchise now. <laughs> so what would happen is, as the big guy, I would just simply go. I would not have to deal with the people. I would just simply show up at Phil's house and say, okay, Phil, you know, you got an X number of people living in Mona. This is the amount, or uh, in Odo. This is how much money I need. Leo, you got this money, uh, uh, you got this many people in Whispering Creek. This is what I need from you. And I would just collect from these guys, okay? <clears throat> now, on the other hand, these guys have to give me X number of dollars, right? So here's what they would do they would tax everything. Mike decided. Rather than taxing the carts, Mike could tax the carts based on the size wheels they have. So if they got small wheels, I can charge this much. If they got medium-sized wheels, I can charge this much. If they got big wheels, I can charge this much. And he happens to be talking to Lael, and Lael goes, that's an awesome idea. I'm going to implement that. So all of a sudden, here's what happens now. You're driving down from, let's say, you're, let's say in your case, you're leaving Monona County to drive to Sioux City. Well, here's the problem. You've got to go through Hornick. Who's in charge of Hornick? So Lael's sitting there and going, boop, 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 boop. Ah, you got a new car, I see. That's nice. X number of dollars. What you doing? Well, you know, I'm taking this over to Fred's house over in Sioux City. Really? What you got? Well, you know, they bought a goat from me. Really? Okay. Goat tax. Animal tax. Road tax. You're going over my bridge? Bridge tax. And it was a free-for-all. I could charge whatever I want. Well, I don't, have enough, I don't have enough to pay you. Well, I'll just take a goat. So what happened was, in this world, a tax collector was considered a thief and a crook. In fact, in the Jewish world, the Talmud, which was the rule book for Jews, not the Bible, it was a, it was, they had another book. Uh, they added to it. And, and the Talmud taught, that, that you could not lie, but you could lie to a tax collector. That was okay. In other words, thou shalt not lie unless they're a tax collector. The system was set up. Here's how, here's how these people were looked at. You've got to understand that. These people were looked at so poorly. They were considered thieves and robbers in court. So let's say Lael is standing outside church at the end of the day here, and he watches... He watches Rob. Uh, uh, he watches Rod murder Josh. He's the only witness to it. They won't even accept his testimony in court because he's a publican. He's a tax collector. The law said the Jewish law said this. The Jewish law said so. As far as they're concerned, there was no witness because his 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 testimony is invalid. He's a thief and a liar. In fact, the law said he wasn't even allowed to come to church. Syn- publicans were not allowed in the synagogue. Tax collectors were not allowed to come to church. So now you think about this for a minute. How many friends do you have? 
if you're a tax collector. Only friends you have are who? Other tax collectors, thieves, robbers, prostitutes, all of the social outcasts of the city, they'll have something to do with you. Nobody else will. You are an incredible outcast as far as society goes. To the Jewish people, you're a traitor. To the Jewish people, no one wants anything to do with you because you have not only abandoned your Jewish heritage, you have embraced and linked yourself to Rome, and now you are a representative of Rome abusing your own people for your own personal good. Now you understand why I say which one of these things is not like the other? Because that's where our story picks up. It's found in Matthew, and it's also found in Luke, but I'm going to look at Matthew's account. Um, uh, It's interesting. Luke adds something Matthew doesn't, but it's part of the the way the system is set up. But anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 9, here's what it says. Put it up on the screen. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Because they basically just sat somewhere where everybody went and just collected money. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now, stop and think about this for a minute. That means that he's leaving his franchise. There's no plan B. It's not like he can come back and do this. See the fishing guys? What happened when the fishing guys followed Jesus? And then everything started going south. And what did they do? They went back to fishing. There's no plan B for Matthew. When he walks away from that, I simply, it'd be like Leo walking away from Hornet and going, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put it up for bid. I'm going to have somebody there tomorrow collecting taxes because that affects my bottom line. And it says, he left him and followed him. Notice what happens next. Now, it happened as Jesus sat down at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sitters came and sat down with him and his disciples. So, in other words, and Luke tells us this, Matthew goes and invites all of his friends. He says, hey, guys, look, we're going to have one big last blowout party thing. Everybody come. Now, I don't know. I don't know if that's where he looked at him and said, hey, look, guys, my franchise is up for bid. I don't know if that's where he looked at him and said, hey, look, I want to introduce you to Jesus. Um, I don't know if you, it was a deal where he's like, well, this one. The bottom line is he invited everybody that he knew to come and see Jesus, and Jesus goes, which is shocking. Because remember, no one associated with these people. No one. And notice what it says. And when the Pharisees saw it, these are religious leaders of the day, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, these guys were looked so bad, they didn't even put them in the category of sinners. They put them in a category beyond sinners. There was like uh, thieves, murderers, sinners, tax collectors. They were, so they look at him and go, why in the world? Your, your teacher, your rabbi, he says that he's God. He says that he's a good rabbi. He says, why in the world is he eating with those people? Why did he say yes to dinner with them? Now, um, <laughs> this is why I love the Bible, because only, God, only the Bible would do stuff like this. Okay. Now, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, where is Jesus right now? He's in a house, eating with tax collectors. And while they are there, 
He goes, hey, I've come to help sick people. And at no point do these guys go, hey, wait a minute, you're talking about us. Because they knew how bad they were. And they don't, it, doesn't even re, it doesn't even register with them that Jesus has said something offensive about them. Because they're accepting of Jesus and Jesus is accepting of them. And so Jesus looks at it and goes, you know, look, I'm here because these people are really messed up. And they're okay with that. That tells you something about his relationship with these people, which is amazing. Uh, we'll talk about all that in a minute. But go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, I came here to help people like this. These people know they need help, and they're okay with it. I'm not about doing what you guys do, which is all about hanging around with the people who have met your standards and jumped through your hoops and, and, and have reached your levels. He said, that's not what I'm about. I'm about helping people who need help. And so... Jesus very, very candidly looks at these guys and sets them straight very, 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 very quickly. Um, and, like, and, and so this is the story. Um, we, don't know, um, we don't know historically, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to, to, to Matthew. In the end, um, history says that he ministered in the area of Israel, um, worked there, and then ultimately was burned alive at the stake um, for his faith. But this is the calling of Matthew. So, so, and, and here's the thing you've got to realize. The Bible then is full of stories about, um, the, the Bible talks about the idea of Zacchaeus. Um, you know, remember the Zacchaeus and the tree thing? Remember that when you were a little kid? Uh, that whole story? Yeah. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Uh, he would own some of the big franchises and had a lot of little people working for him. Uh, the Bible talks about, remember the story about the guy who stands in the, in the synagogue and talks about how righteous he is, and it's the publican who's standing off to the side who says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's interesting, Luke tells us that often sinners and publicans came to hear Jesus because they wanted to hear what he said, because you've got to think about this for a minute. Why would they come to hear him? Because one of his followers is a publican. So that's the story, and it seems like a very simple, straightforward thing, but there are some phenomenal lessons in this story for us, and that's kind of where I want to go to here today. So here we go. Let's talk about how we use it this week in our lives. Here's the first thing. Matthew finds a way to justify his lifestyle. See, he was a Jew. It, it wasn't like he was... It, tax collecting was not something you were born into. It's a choice you had to make, and it was something you had to purchase. You had to purchase the right to the franchise to collect taxes. So at some point in Matthew's life, he had come to a conclusion that, you know what? For me, it's more about money than it is about people. For me, it's all about what I can get. For me, it's all about me. It's not about how I can help somebody else. It's, not about, it's about me. And you know what? I am willing to walk away from my entire heritage because this is a way for me to make some serious money. There's something to be said for that mindset that I think grips all of us sometimes, where for us, we stop and we start justifying what it is that we want to do that we know is wrong. I mean, every Jew knew this was wrong occupation to pursue. Every Jew w w knew that. And yet at some point, Matthew had convinced himself that this was okay to do. 
And I think there's a lesson there because it's important for us because you know what? This is easy to do. You know how, you know how, you know, you know how we can, I, I, you learn this. You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say in order to do whatever you want to do. That doesn't mean you're being accurate with it, but you can get it to say whatever you want it to say. I watch people do it all the time. You know, well, you know, I really, really needed that Ferrari, and God promised that he would bless me, and so I'm going to use it for the kingdom. Really? Come on. You know, come on. You know, how, how are you going to do that? You know, I'll give people, homeless people, rides in it. Oh, come on. You know, we, but we do crazy things with that, and you've got to be careful of that. Okay, because Matthew was able to push his conscience aside, push what was right aside, and go into an occupation that honestly was not, was not a right thing to do. Okay, but on the other side of it, here's what, here's a great lesson from Matthew. He was also willing to walk away from it. When Jesus looked at him and said, follow me, Matthew turned around and said, okay. And, and you need to understand this. Salvation doesn't cost you anything. It costs Jesus everything. Okay? And Jesus offers salvation to anyone who will accept him and believe in him, that he has raised him from the dead, and, that, and put their faith and trust in Christ as a relationship. Not about jumping through hoops, not about doing the whole church thing, not about the giving thing, not about the... It's about putting your personal faith and trust in Christ alone. Okay? A thief on the cross, dying, never got to go to a church a day in his life, was able to put his faith and trust in Christ. It's a free gift offered to anybody who wants it. It will not cost you anything. You can't earn it. You can't purchase it. You can't do, jump through enough hoops to get it. It's, it. it's a free gift. Okay. But you need to understand this. If you're genuinely going to follow Christ, it's going to cost you. Because, see, genuinely following Christ means that I'm going to do it God's way, not my way. And you live in a world which tells you to do it your way. You live in a world which says it's all about you. You live in a world in which you take advantage of somebody who does something wrong. Case in point. You're standing at the checkout line and somebody hands you the wrong amount of change and they give you too much. Following Christ is going to cost you something because you have a conscience and you have the word of God that you're trying to live your life by and it says to treat others in, in, in the way that Jesus would treat them. And you live in a world which says get whatever you can, take whatever you can, if something like that happens to you, embrace it. And look, look at it as God's blessing. I mean, literally, that's how crazy we get in warping this stuff. It's going to cost you because your conscience is going to battle. Do you do what's right? Or you do what's convenient, or you do what culture says is okay, or you do, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you when you have to look at somebody and go, you know what, in good conscience, I just can't do that. I just can't go there, I just can't do that. In good conscience, I just can't do that because, and, and again, it's going to cost you. In Matthew, it cost him, in his case, it cost him everything. His dream may have become, been to become the Zacchaeus type that owned lots of franchises with lots of people working for him. But he walked away from it all. He didn't have a backup plan. He didn't have something where he go, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. And if Jesus rejects me, or if this doesn't work out, then I'll go back to this. That was not an option in this world. When he walked away, he walked away. 
By the way, it's interesting. One of the reasons we don't know a lot, I think one of the reasons we don't know a lot about Matthew is Matthew is one of those disciples that's way in the background. Why? Because he had lived his life as an outcast in the shadows. He's not about all of a sudden to turn around and become prominent in the scriptures. Um, That's why, by the way, in the Gospel of Matthew, he only talks about himself on two occasions. And this is one of them. Why? Because he's continually being in the background of it. Why? Because, see... For Matthew, following Jesus was going to cost you something. By the way, here's another interesting thing. Matthew is the gospel that talks about forgiveness more than any others. Because he's the guy that got it. He, as a social outcast, had somebody who was willing to say, I want you to be a part of my group. I have enough confidence and faith that I can use you. I want you to be one of us. And so it's an incredible story when you realize that, that God wanted this guy to follow. Um, and so it, 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 it cost him. I think one of the interesting stories here is, what does Matthew do after he follows Christ? It's not hard. What does he do? Huh? He has a party. He doesn't say, okay, Jesus, you just stay right here. I'm going to go bring all my friends to you. You know what he does? He says, hey, Jesus, I'm going to go have a party. I want to introduce you to all my friends, and I want you to come over to where we are. You come where they're comfortable, and, 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 and I want you to be a part of this thing. Now, look, Matthew doesn't, Matthew doesn't he, at this point in the story, he's not in this debate trying to make some statement with the Pharisees and the religious leader. All he knows is that He's going to follow Jesus, and he wants his friends to know it. So he says, he says okay, you know, my friends, they're not going to come to him, but I'll tell you what, I'll get to have a big party at my house, and I'll invite him over, and I'll introduce Jesus to them and them to Jesus. And apparently, and this is what's amazing to me, Jesus in the middle of all of the publicans and sinners, all, all the tax collectors gathered there, they are comfortable enough with his presence and him being there that when he says, you know what, I'm come to call the sick people here, I'm, I'm come to help the people who are really messed up, they're not even offended by it. So he doesn't come in there holier than thou. He doesn't come in there above. He comes in there to serve and to minister to them, and they get that. Why? Because he's willing to meet them where they are. Listen, this is what you need to understand about Jesus. He's always willing to meet you where you are. See, that's the difference between Christianity and religion. Religion says this. Religion says, look, you want to come and be a part of us? You've got to do this, 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 and then we'll decide if we're going to accept you. Some of you have been burned by religion because of that. Because you got into a thing, and they had this hoop that you had to jump through, and that hoop that you had to jump through, and, and, and they got so many hoops, and, and maybe somebody didn't get along with you, and you didn't get through the right hoop, and, 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 and it messed you up because you're thinking about, you know, if this is religion, I don't want any part of it. I don't blame you. I wouldn't want a part of it either. See, that's the difference in Christianity. Jesus says, look, I'll meet you where you are. We'll go from there. That's what you see. All 12 of these disciples, none of these guys had their act together. They were all works in progress. And Jesus gets Matthew. Matthew meets him where he is, and he says, okay, Matthew. Matthew goes, hey, look, Jesus, you know, I got this really great idea. I'm going to have all my friends over, and you come, and we'll have a great big party. And Jesus goes, okay. Let's do it. Now, the religious people, they didn't like that. Because, see, that messed with their idea of who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. And Jesus just looks at him and goes, look, you know, I, I'm going to go where the sick people are. 
I'm going to go where people who need me are. I'm going to go where I can help people. That's what I'm going to do. That's a, my little thing. You know, these faith healer things. I got called a number of years ago. There was a faith healing conference they wanted to try to do in Sioux City. And they called me and they said, hey, look, you know, would you promote it in your church? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, no, I won't. I said, but I'll tell you what I will do. If the guy coming in town wants to meet me at the hospital, we'll go up and down the halls. And you really got the gift of healing, then let's hit the hospital, man. Let's not go to the big auditorium where we can get a blood show, a hoopla, and all of this. I mean, let's, let's go up and down, because the, uh, there are plenty of sick people there. Well, that's really not what we're about. See, we're trying, yeah, I know exactly what it's about. It's exactly what it's about. Why? You see, that's what Jesus was saying. He said, look, I'm going to go where the sick people are. I'm going to go where the people are that need me. Listen, you, understand, you need to understand this. That's what church is about. Church isn't about a collection of people who have it all together. If that's what you think church is about, you need to leave. Because we are all a work in progress. We are all working together to be what God wants us to be. We are all trying to encourage and help one another. Nobody here, myself included, has not arrived yet. If you have any doubt, if you think for a moment that I have my act all together and I have arrived, my children and their wives come to church here, my wife comes to church here, five minutes with them will convince you, okay, that I'm still a work in progress too, okay? Why? You see, that's, that's the whole invitation of Jesus. Come as you are and we'll change to become what I want you to be because that will be the best that you can be for yourself and for my kingdom. That's what it's about. And Matthew is a great example of that. And that's the last thing that I think you need to understand about this. When Jesus invited Matthew, this is the worst of the worst in this culture. I mean, no one, no one would have chosen a publican, a tax collector to be their disciple. There is no way in the world this was a smart call from the world's perspective. Because you see, I mean, and by the way, the Bible doesn't tell us. The disciples had to go ballistic over this. Because, I mean, think about it for a minute. You're walking with Jesus. He's talking about a kingdom. You know that he's going to do things differently. And you see the crowds that are starting to come and the crowds that are listening. And you're going along and there's a tax collector sitting there. And typically you just got by him as fast as you could. And Jesus stops and says, hey, come and follow us. Be a part of us. The disciples are going, whoa, we don't know that we want him to be a part of us because we have this image of us and he ain't fit, he don't fit the thing. And what's Jesus do? Jesus said, no, no, he's going to be a part of us and we're going to be a part, we're going to go over to his house and we're going to sit with a whole bunch of these guys and we're going to talk to them. Let me tell you something, these disciples would have been, they, it would have gone against everything in there. You want to talk about prejudice? It would have gone against everything for them to do this. But Jesus goes. And Jesus goes to be able to, to, to sit and, and, and meet these people where they are. And this, for the disciples, would have been so, so hard. But here's what you find that's fascinating. As you go through the Scripture, there's three other accounts in the Scriptures about publicans and Jesus. And you see this as the theme. Luke says it this way, that many publicans and many sinners 
came to see Jesus. And part of the reason is why? Because of Matthew. Because you see, when they look at these guys who are following Jesus closely, and they see a publican, they go, he doesn't belong. But you know what? If he can follow, and if his life can change, maybe there is hope for me that I can be accepted somewhere as well. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say, but I really want you to get it, because this is my frustration as a pastor. A lot of you have been brought up in a world in which you, you, you look at people who, quote-unquote, have their Christian act together, whatever you want to call it. And you look at them, and in your mind, you sit back and you go, you know what, one day when I've learned enough Scripture and when I can answer the right questions and when I've been to church so many times, then, then maybe God can use me. Maybe God can use me. There is nothing that could be further from the truth than that. The truth of the matter is God wants to use you where you are as you are right now. That's the truth. And that's what you see in the life of these disciples. Here's what happens. Matthew goes in and says, I'm going to follow Christ, and I'm just going to try to do it. You know, I'm just going to listen. I'm going to kind of stand in the background. But the fact that he's following Christ gives other people encouragement to go and check it out. And that's the way it works. When you start letting God take control and change and work in your life, you don't, you don't realize it. There are other people who are watching, and they think, you know what? And again, again, don't take this wrong. But it's kind of the idea of, you know what? If those people will let him hang with them, maybe they're not all that bad. And if that person can change and grow in their life, you know what? Maybe I can too. Maybe there is something to this. That's what Colossians talks about. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We give hope to other people as they look at our lives and go, you know what, there's something different about them. I don't like them necessarily, but I respect them. There's something that's different. Maybe, 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 I need to go find out what that is. And they come to you and they go, hey, look, what is it that's going on? You may not have all the verses, and you may not have all the answers, and that's okay. You just sit there and go, you know what, here's my story. And they come to Matthew and go, Matthew, what's the big deal? I mean, man, you know, you walked away from that great franchise you had. and you, you're, I mean, you, know, you don't even have a pillow for a, you know, you guys are just nomads running around and trying to find a place. What, what, what's all this about, Matthew? And Matthew says, you know, here's my story. It was kind of empty and hollow, sitting in that booth every day, just taking people's money and watching them get madder and madder. It's kind of hollow not having any friends, not having anybody who accepted me. Kind of this pathetic life, truth be told. But I found a guy who took me as I was, who lets me be a part of his most intimate teachings, lets me hang with him every day, and accepts me and allows me to grow. And he has confidence and faith that I can do what he does. And I don't know why, but he loved me and accepted me. And I'm willing to give everything to follow him. That's my story. And that tax collector who's sitting there going, yeah, I can kind of relate to that whole thing, but, you know, I mean, I know you before, Matthew, and I know you now, and you ain't the same Matthew, so there's something that's happened. I've got to be able to try to figure out what it is. That's what God wants to do with your life and your story. And I, I just want to encourage this morning, because some of you, 
Some of you don't get the idea that God wants to use you where you are, as you are, right now. And there are people that he wants to use you to help impact. But you are kind of like you were kind of like those tax collectors where you think you have nothing to offer, or you think maybe you've done something so bad that God doesn't want you, or that that whatever reason you have blocked up to say God can't use me, God doesn't want me. I'm here to tell you, Matthew's story says you're wrong. Matthew's story says you know what? Let me use your life. Just let me just let me do my thing. And you follow me, and you'll be amazed at what I can do. You'll be amazed what I can do. This guy, Matthew, who's not even allowed in a synagogue, writes a gospel that we have in our possession today that has more Old Testament Hebrew Jewish references in it than Mark, Luke, and John combined. Yet he wasn't allowed in the synagogue. Because he was a tax collector. Which one of these things is not like the others? Matthew. And there's a reason. Because Matthew's that disciple that to me gives me hope. That when I blow it, when I mess up, when I think God can't use me anymore, when I think it's all over, I go back to Matthew and say, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Matthew's a story of hope for all of us. So no matter where you are in your journey, Let God use you. So I end with this. Matthew reminds us that every person has value to God. That Jesus dies for the whole world. There's nothing you can do that puts you beyond the reach of the love of God for you. Jesus chooses Matthew to remind us that we all have hope and we all have a future in Christ. We just have to be willing to say yes. Let him use you this week, because there's a world that needs that hope that you possess. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's so easy sometimes to look at ourselves and to see all of our faults. It's so easy, Lord, to focus on all the ways that we fail you. But Lord, you want us to focus on what you can do with our lives if we'll trust you. So help us to do that this week. Lord, we've all got stuff. We've all got things that we're ashamed of. We've all got stuff that Satan wants us to focus on, on things that that, that keep you from using us. And Lord, help us to just push that aside. May we be like Matthew and simply follow you and invite people and tell people our story. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may people be able to see Jesus Christ in us. And uh, Lord, may they come to know you as we do. These things we ask in your name. Amen.